welcome to one of 200, uh, the uh, New Zealand and International Politics Podcast. I'm Branko Nacidic. Uh, I'm here with Kyle. Uh, how are you, Kyle? Yeah, not too bad, eh? Not too bad here yeah. in Auckland. Wonderful. And and Paul uh, is also here with us. Hey, guys. How are you going? So it's just us three, the, the dynamic uh, triumvirate, uh, let's say, uh, this week. Uh, got, got, a, got a lot of interesting topics, a lot of heated topics here, discussion that we're going to be going to. But I wanted to lead in with this uh, post from Russell Kurtz uh, as he explains why he is joining the, the Wellington uh, convoy or the Wellington occupation or in a protest, whatever you want to say, against the vaccine mandate. Now, Russell Kurtz here is expressing a lot of uh, principled uh, concerns around freedom of choice the erosion of human rights, the, the growing limitations in our freedom of choice. And he sort of lists a bunch of uh, grievances that he, that he has with the government and its COVID response, among them being the 10-day quarantine that still remains for international travel, uh, the absurd rules where our kids, vaccinated and unvaccinated, can sit in the same classroom and play sport together inside the schoolyard, yet are prohibited from playing sport together outside the schoolyard. Uh, it kind of goes on like this. And then there's this one... A particular complaint that goes the absurd rules that prohibit two young unvaccinated brothers living in the same household from sailing together in a sailing competition because they will be within two meters of each other while sailing their boat which i love because that is such a hilariously specific complaint and and hilariously specific to Russell Coates because <laughs> I, I you know of all the complaints I've heard about the New Zealand COVID response or, or even the international COVID response I have not heard the one about people you know two unvaccinated brothers in the same house not being able to uh, enjoy a sailing competition together and then you know when you when you get to that point you realize oh this is this is the thing Russell Coates is is actually angry about it sounds it's, like it's, a um a cinema offering, right? Like for um, for the convoy, like two brothers, <laughs> unvaccinated this summer. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also, I mean, he could have at least disguised it a little bit by at least saying like siblings, but like the 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 mention of brothers is like that. Well, that's a specific situation that you've now narrowed that highly specific situation that you're angry about to an even more specific situation. I think I like from memory as well, it's the last thing on the list. Like he's like, oh, okay, I can't put this up first. Um, it would be, <laughs> it'll stand out a bit if I put it in the middle among all these other ones. We'll just take it onto the end here. But it's it's indicative of what seemed to be a lot of, um, you know, people involved in, in the protests and, and who have grievances with the government's um, approach to this is like something has affected them personally and in a very particular way they have something very specific and out of it has grown this um this desire to to do something about it um and i i i don't know about what kurt's uh cases in, in regards to getting pulled into some more of the more um wild uh, rabbit holes that that are apparent um, at these protests, but he's clearly just using this as an outlet for um, his own issues. And I suspect there are a lot of other people as well. Like this is just an anti-government um, protest in his case, rather than necessarily being, you know, about bodily autonomy or being able to work. I mean, Russell Coots has no problems finding a fucking job. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think if, uh, if, if the government maybe wants to find a, a negotiating point where they can maybe uh, uh, end this protest, clearly, if they just promise to Russell Coots that, that, yes, two young unvaccinated brothers will be able to enjoy a sailing competition together uh, if they're in the same household, maybe that'll be the thing that, that finally ends the, the occupation. Let's, uh, yeah, let's give it a go. Let's see how, how it goes. It's really frustrating to me. And you've seen this week... Um, a range of different uh, personalities, we'll, we'll call them, um, for, for lack of a, a word that can actually describe each of them um, as, as part of a group, because they are pretty diverse. Uh, jumping on social media, um, starting to do video, um, as they uh, either say or 
uh, say they're going to join the protest or actively join it. And it really belies this, this idea that the protest is predominantly working class or that they, or, or even that they have a fair point. Um, Russell Coots can go and get fucked. Like, and as, as we said before the cast, like, everyone hates this guy. He's a piece of <laughs> shit. Like, he, he has no loyalty to New Zealand. He's not, he hasn't got principles. Um, and suddenly it's like this big news story. Oh, like Russell Coots is, is heading down there. Um, it's going to add some legitimacy to the protest. It, it doesn't really. Um, this is just another uh, old, um, angry dude who's, who's pretty well off, who has um, something to flog, just like a, a lot of the other people down there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suddenly haven't thought of the, the uh, guy from Op Shop in a, in a very long time. So, uh, you know, that was, a, that was a nice little reminder, little bust. Yeah, oh, this is the thing. Like, like Kurtz is one, is one example, but then you've got, like, as you said, the guy from Op Shop, Jason Kerrison, who's running around social media posting pictures of the Nuremberg trials at journalists when they dare to speak out against the protests. Like... There's, there's, there's this really weird just thread through New Zealand celebrity um, of stuff. Well, there's always celebrities that come to come to various protests and are attracted by various causes. I mean, I think I, I have a slightly different uh, uh, interpretation of, of all of this uh, than I think uh, maybe the rest of us on this podcast do and a lot of people uh, in the sort of, I don't know, uh, lefty intelligentsia in New Zealand. I mean, I think that uh, I'm seeing a very predictable response from a lot of people that basically aligns with a lot of things that we've seen to, uh, you know, with, when there's protests that we somewhat disagree with overseas. Um, you know, I, the, the one I tend to think of is the, the, the Gilets Jaunes movement, the Yellow Vest movement in France, um, which was far more disruptive than this, far more, uh, far longer, far more um, destructive, way more property damage. Uh, in every way, much more kind of extreme than, than this protest. Um, and that was also a similar, it was a, a hodgepodge of different beliefs, different forces, including the far right, who hoped to um, capitalize on the, on the LFS protest to kind of take advantage of them and recruit people in the kind of, you know, same kind of stuff we're seeing over here. Um, but it was a, you know, it was a little more interesting. I think we on the left looked at that stuff in France and we said, you know, we looked at kind of the liberal response um, and we said, you know, let, let's let's take a, a bit of a broader view here. Let's be a little more understanding. You know, these people are protesting against sh- not so much climate action, but something that is kind of a regressive uh, approach to taking climate action. Um, you know, and I think with these protests, obviously similar similar hodgepodge of, of beliefs, similar hodgepodge of factions and, and and groups going on here. I think it's hard to say what percentage is what because we don't have the data uh, there was actually a, a survey done recently by uh progress new zealand of uh the freedom and rights coalition uh and and so you know it's not all the protesters but it had a slightly the, the results were different than what you might have expected uh people are actually more favorable to references to, to the treaty than, than the general population there was uh voters from across different parties i don't know if that's what we're going to see if 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 and when we do a study of these protests but i think it's important to not uh go to the kind of you know the 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 hillary clinton dnc style reaction to stuff like this where you know we just say these people are deplorable and disgusting and they're all white supremacists and we we should just uh completely ignore them i still think they're wrong i think the policy is is the right one but i can also understand how for if you read a lot of the reporting i don't know again how many but a lot of people are angry that they lost their jobs uh or they were forced to sort of choose between jobs and and, and choosing between having a foreign object basically stuck into their bodies and that that was a very serious thing um it, it it should not be taken lightly uh, we don't have compulsory vaccination in New Zealand. We haven't had it before. Um, and, and, you know, places like the UK haven't either. Um, and so I think we need to be a little more understanding of this rage, even though we don't agree with it. And we don't agree with some of the ways that it's been expressed. I think actually some of it's been really, really uh, awful and disgusting. Um, but I think we do need to understand it, especially if we're going to solve this issue. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that really is the key thing um, in terms of, hey, there actually does need to be a solution for this at some point. I think, um, I 
I guess counter to, to um, what you're saying there um, and some of the, the comparisons. I think one thing that's different about this than uh, some of the wider movements that we've seen overseas is that it started with the conspiracy shit. Like, so a lot of these groups did not come to this because of a, a regressive, you know, fuel tax or, or whatever, or, or something else that um, directly affected them. A lot of the people were already down the rabbit hole. Um, and so you do have this hodgepodge of ideas, but many of them are just like not based in reality. Uh, and alongside that, you had a far right movement, you had uh, actively fascist movements that were right in there on day one. Um, and I don't think you had that to the same extent with the yellow vests, where you saw the far right moving in on it um, to try and take advantage of it later on. Um, we know that some of the key organizers behind this uh, are neo-fascist um, or at least highly accelerationist. Um, you know, in terms of the likes of counterspin. Um, and I think that is a that is a, a real threat, um, especially given the fact that they are actively seeking to permanently occupy the parliament grounds now. And I'm not, I'm not sure how much of this is getting through over um, in the US in terms of just how extensive this is becoming. Um, because just large amounts of parliament grounds now uh, are not particularly safe if you're a journalist or uh, an MP. Um, we've had, they, like, the protest grounds have their own security force. Um, they've blocked multiple entrances. Um, you know, yada, yada, we're, we're not advocating for um, police violence, but the police have not cordoned any, any part of this. Just this week, um, protesters started pulling up to block a basement entrance and setting up um, new new cars, new vehicles and, and tents and the like uh, outside that entrance so people couldn't come and go from the Beehive, which is the, the parliamentary building. Um, there are reports of uh, journalists being uh, blocked from even reporting um, by uh, security, uh, whatever that's meant to mean. So, and, and alongside that, you have all these telegram messages um, you know, all the conversations that are happening among the, the protesters and the organizers uh, out of the public eye as far as that goes, where the tenor of those conversations is much different than what we're seeing um, when they put someone forward to be interviewed by the media. Um, so there's constant references to hanging the Nuremberg trials, um, to executions. You have very... Uh, specific sets of plans from groups like Counterspin about how they're going to uh, organize this, um, how they want to accelerate it. And so you have, you know, you do have these competing ideas. You do have people there who I think are just like a, a bit, um, a bit angry or a bit lost, but it is volatile enough. And there are people who want um, some pretty horrible outcomes uh, to the extent that I, I, I genuinely don't know which way that's going to fall at this point. Um, and there, there are ways to, to ensure that this didn't happen. Like it, it's fine to, uh, from police to take a nonviolent approach to try and de-escalate. But alongside that, the police, uh, the protesters have been allowed to escalate their presence and to do some pretty... Well, like what you call, uh, I guess, frightening things in, in regards to like what our democratically uh, elected representatives are able to do um, in terms of the day-to-day -day running of the country. So I, I think that's where a lot of my concerns come from. I'm, I'm happy to acknowledge that there is like, you know, if there are issues here with the policy. I think there are a lot of things that could have been done last year or like when the mandates first came into, into law, when um to mitigate some of that but at the moment you've just got a real shit show uh and i think there is a risk um i, I there's a risk with it there's a risk with any protest i mean uh, to to uh answer the first thing you know i think it is getting through in the u.s fine i think it's important to note none of us here in wellington uh so you know if you if you read the the underground reporting that's been done by people have actually visited uh these people they all say yes there's there's some unruly and even violent or hostile 
has a bit of word elements uh, in, in the protest, but actually also there's a lot of people who are perfectly welcoming and, and don't want violence. So it's, again, it's a, it's a diversity of things, which you will find in any protest. Uh, sometimes when we start, when I see people kind of going, delineating what is an acceptable thing to do at a protest, what isn't, uh, you know, uh, it, it's, it, it makes me think, well, you know, in that case, it's, you don't really believe in the, the freedom of protest because when you start doing that, you are going to eliminate a whole swath of things that, that generally you agree with, um, but, but maybe protested in ways that were much more dangerous than this. I mean, you have to remember Black Lives Matter in the United States, hugely uh, uh, destructive in terms of property damage protests. Uh, does that mean that they were, they were uh, wrong or not worth supporting? No, I don't think so. But in terms of uh, safety and, 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 you know, in terms of some of the things that protesters were doing, much, much worse than what's happening in Wellington. I mean, there were a police station was burnt down, a city hall was occupied, there was uh, damage to, um, to, to shop fronts and, and, and all manner of things. There were lawmakers who were beaten up by protesters, there were journalists. Um, I mean, so, uh, you know, I, I think whenever there's a, a protest that someone disagrees with, one side or another, people tend to kind of do the same thing. They'll, they'll look at, they'll say, here's the extremist elements that we can see in this, this protest, Therefore, that makes it illegitimate. Uh, and then people will say, well, hold on, you can't judge a protest based on those extreme elements. You have to, you know, that, that's, that's not fair. And then sort of, you know, when the, the cause changes, we tend to kind of flip it apart. And then we, the people who are saying, look at the extremist elements, now they're saying, no, you can't judge it by them and, and vice versa. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think what we're seeing uh, has some dangerous elements. But also, I mean, this, this is, to be honest, it's an effective, uh, protest. They, they've occupied the parliament grounds and they are potentially forcing the government to maybe make some changes to policy, changes that I do not want. Um, but it, th this is what they've managed to achieve. And I mean, uh, I wish that they had done it for something more important, like say, getting the IP waiver uh, lifted for the vaccine or, you know, having any sort of movement on poverty, which continues to be a slow rolling crisis in this country, housing, you know, what, what is going to force politicians to actually do something to make house prices drop, if not a kind of populist <laughs> occupation that basically forces them to, to, um, to, to do that. You know, I think all of these things that a lot of people understandably are thinking about this protest, at least the nature of it, the, the sort of physical practice of it. I think we would not be saying these things if the protesters were say, climate change campaigners or anti-poverty campaigners or, or anything else. I think in, it, it's the fact that we don't agree with the cause. And that's I'm going to say, though, I'm going to say that if it was climate change or anti-poverty protesters, they wouldn't have a detailed plan about how to get into parliament offices, drag MPs out and hang them for Nuremberg 2.0. Some of them, yes, some of them do. I mean, but also, I mean, I've been to protests where there, there is a, a core of, of radical people who are trying to barge through police lines to, to get into buildings by force. Um, so I don't think that that's necessarily true. I mean, you know, th there's been a lot of uh, disruptive left-wing protests over, over the years. I mean, Extinction Rebellion, I think I brought this up last time, but I mean, Extinction Rebellion was, was uh, did, did all manner of disruptive things, mm. including um, uh, uh, harassing people in the street, which I think was a stupid and, and, and self-defeating and, and just morally wrong thing, but, but they did do that. Um, and that, that wasn't enough for me to say, well, that means the whole movement is bad. Um, so I just think... You know, my my two things is I think I wish we could take the same approach to this that we've taken to some other protests that we've seen overseas. I know how disruptive it is. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's terrible. I have friends down there. It, I'm sure it's very, very annoying. Um, and especially if it's something like getting rid of the mandates, which most people uh, support. But I think we on the left should at least, you know, try and take a little more of a, a broad minded view towards this, even if we don't agree with what's going on. I, I agree though, you know, there are, there are concerns about safety. And I think that that is something that, you know, I hope that the police are really uh, thinking about and, and, and you know, uh, working to, to prevent, um, you know, because some of these threats and some of these attacks and workers and by, bystanders is not good. And if it keeps going, I mean, that's really- Yeah, that's I really think that's the other thing. It is actually possible to separate those, those things from a security standpoint. Um, and I, what worries me is that none of that is happening either. Um, and, or, or rather, we're not getting any information about it. So 
things that are happening outside the protests, you know, we've got reports of people being harassed, assaulted, uh, just on Lambton Quay or um, in other places where the occupation isn't currently happening um, and nothing happening. Um, you know, you've got <clears throat> protesters rocking up and like setting up tents in people's backyards. Um, yeah. So lots of stuff happening outside of the protest grounds that isn't being enforced either. And, you know, there, there'll be some intent to that um, from, from some of those people, but yeah. I, I think in, in the end, like, we're not going to know what the outcome is until it happens at this point, um, because yeah. there has been that, that level of mismanagement. Um, the ideas are very diverse. There aren't real, real concrete demands. Uh, like they are a bit uh, ambiguous at, at the moment. Mm. Um, la Labour might move on some of these things. Will the, the protests finish? Uh, we yet to see. But one of the interesting things that came out um, this week was a, an Horizon poll. Um, and, and it was just like, it was, a, it was a quick and dirty poll. Um, it was just asking, do you support um, the protests or do you not support the protests? Um, and it, I think a lot of people um, kind of who are, who are against the protests were quite surprised to find that about 30% of people um, responded to that to, to say they, they supported the protests. Um, now that was in line with earlier polling about the mandates, um, which I think showed about 28 or like 25 to 28% were anti-mandate. Um, so that does sort of line up. Um, and we know the question was pretty, um, what's the word? Uh, broad. Yeah, broad. Uh, so there could be a lot of reasons why people support it. Um, and there might be people who support it, but have reservations. But mm. it did show that there is definitely a wider um, sense of unease uh, about the the mandates um, and some of the the COVID restrictions than perhaps people had been aware. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll say for the umpteenth time, I, I support the mandates, and I, I have long before. Yeah, you'd be a bit because otherwise people are going to come for you, Branco. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But I mean, I you know when I have written things in support of mandates, I, I have taken care to note that, you know, this is a, uh, it's a heavy handed and, and I would say extreme policy. I think it's, it's, uh, uh, it makes sense given the nature of the, the, the emergency, given the nature of the pandemic um, that, that, you know, you would take some dire uh, steps like this, but it is a heavy handed uh, thing to, to do, to, to say in, in the kind of economy that we uh, live in that we have to operate in um, to to lose your uh, uh, ability to 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 feed yourself to make money to feed yourself to 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 pay for a shelter to feed your family so on and so forth that is not a big thing I mean that I mean that's part of the long standing left wing uh, critique of kind of liberal political rights which is of course they're good we want those rights but they're not enough. It's all well and good to have freedom of speech, but if you don't have the money to 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 pay for, you know, a, a decent standard of living to be able to survive, your freedom of speech doesn't mean anything. And so it is. I think it's important to keep that in mind when we uh, have some of these frustrations with with these people. Now, like I don't know how to end to make this end. My my thinking at the moment is maybe just let it peter out over time. Um, I think one thing that, that could make sense, I think the government sort of said, or, or at least parliament said, we won't meet with you until the, the roads are unblocked. I think that makes a lot of sense. That's a pretty good precondition for some sort of negotiation. I don't think the government should, you know, buckle on the mandates. I don't think that, you know, that would not be right. Again, they're supported by a majority of uh, New Zealanders. But um, yeah, I, you know, the, the one thing I would say, I think is, is a very bad idea, which I've seen bandied about everywhere. Uh, and this will be an absolutely horrible idea is to do some sort of uh, heavy handed forced removal, which is it would take away the whatever moral principle concerns you might have about this. Just in terms of just strategy, tactics, practical matters, this is a terrible idea. You would A, be a, feeding directly into what the protesters are saying, which is a, you know, the government tyranny and yada, yada, yada. Uh, you would probably see numbers get higher. You'll probably see a lot of that, those, that 30% of the country, some of those people who are standing on the sidelines now go, oh, oh my God, we're being, you know, our fears are being crushed. We have to go to parliament right now. 
So that is not the way. I think that they've been they've been correct to do that. I think actually the police uh, attempt to do a crackdown last week uh, was an example of this backfiring, um, where it actually kind of emboldened uh, the people and their side. We'll, we'll dig in. So I think you know we'll see what happens from from these weeks on. But I think at the, at the, the people pushing for some sort of crackdown uh it's it's a bad idea it should not yeah. be something that i think the other thing we need to keep in mind is like occupy protests lasted for months right um yeah. and were were much more significant um yeah i i think you know yeah but i think this can still um definitely end peacefully um i i don't i don't want to see it escalated. So. um i i i'm going to reiterate that i think we have to be very clear about some of those undercurrents and it has we have to be aware that you know, whether this has come from discontent or, or whatever, um, from um, material um, issues that people are facing. You know, there's been a lot of attempts to paint this as some kind of working class um, movement. I don't, which I don't buy. Um, like, well, may, may, say, we don't, we don't well, have any data. We don't have I, any data. What I'm saying is, I don't think it's coming from working class concerns. Um, I can. I, I mean, we're mostly working class people in this country because none of us have access to capital. Um, so, in, in the sense that there are working class people there, sure. Um, my well, my I mean, I my worry is that it escalates in, in some way, um, and it does become some kind of neo-fascist or, or proto-fascist movement um, because there are fascist elements there who want to recruit. Um, and in my eyes, that's what we should be doing our our best to push back on and avoid. Um, is right. ensuring that if there are legitimate grievances, um, those are dealt with. People are given an avenue for expressing their distaste or their anger or whatever. Um, you know, that's happening in the form of this protest right now, but they don't go on to be radicalized towards something which is far more destructive and dangerous. Well, I'm glad you say that because this is the age-old dilemma: is that this is always the, the liberal and left-wing position, but then what the what what people on that part of the spectrum do is then they go these people are awful screw them and so what you get is the message of there's the far right that says come in come in we want to have you on our side we we sympathize with you we agree with you and then you have the left going no we don't you're dirty and and feral and 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 we don't like your ideas and we don't want you in so it's a that, that i think is a very self-defeating thing you know I, I think what would be great is if uh we get more like really actual information about where some of these people are coming from. I, I think the concern about losing your job, uh, you know, your, your vaccine or your job, that is a, a working class concern. It's not going to be the one shared by every single person at that protest, because as we've said, a lot of different things going on there. Um, but I, I wish we had more information about who these people are, because then we can get a sense of not just why, why are people opposing the mandate or why are people opposing the vaccine? But also for the people who are, have gone down these conspiratorial misinformation rabbit holes, um, you know, the, the people don't just accept misinformation in a vacuum. There's something that leads them to look at misinformation and go, oh, I'm going to trust that. And I would love to know what it is that, that has pushed some of those people. There. I would love to know their, their class background. I'd love to know you know, uh, the, the, the kind of occupations they went to. I'd love to know, you know, a whole heap of demographic information about them. And like I said, uh, there was the Progressive New Zealand uh, survey, very limited. Uh, it gives us something to go on. I wish there was more of that. And I, I hope that we, we do get more. I hope, hope the press um, or, or, you know, universities sort of try and, and do some more of that stuff. Moving on. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, I think one of the, the worst things about this is just the amount of oxygen that it takes up um, yeah. in the political space. Um, and, you know, media are always looking for sensationalism. There's been a little bit more analysis come out this week, but, um, yeah, it's just kind of breathless shit. And it, it doesn't help us with a bunch of the other stuff that's happening. Um, so we had the Horizon well, poll come out. Else, there's nothing else happening, Kyle. It's New Zealand. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> The yeah, we had the Horizon poll come out showing that um, around thirty percent support for the mandates. And that um, uh, alongside that poll, another one came out, which was uh, an electoral poll, um, and it shows Labor's um, fortunes continuing to slip. Um, we saw National um, beginning to move towards electability in, in earnest alongside uh, Christopher Luxon's preferred prime minister um, polling going up. Uh, and you, you can't 
look at, at both of those and kind of what's happening down in Wellington and not accept that there is an undercurrent of discontent um, in the New Zealand populace um, for whatever reason um, against the Labour government. I actually don't know if it's if it's fair or accurate to say that um, Labour have slid in this poll because I think they did go up slightly. But what did happen was both uh, ACT and the Greens, this is the this was a taxpayers union poll, by the way, um, both ACT and the Greens slid, you know, around 4% from their previous poll, which was, uh, I think, done in, in sort of the back end of last year, around November. Um, so that's quite a drop for the kind of minor parties, like a consolidation, um, you know, in, into uh, mainly national, but also a little bit of labor as well. So it's kind of hard to know, like, which votes are going where. Um, and also, it's quite a big change from some of the other polls that we've seen um, in the last couple of weeks. But I, I think, you know, things are changing fast now. You, we've had sort of January um, and December time, which I guess is a bit of a political lull in New Zealand, you know. So, so political kind of um, activity is starting to sort of pick up in February again. Uh, and, and this poll was taken, I think, in the first kind of 10 days of February. So whilst I, I agree... Um, Kyle, that it, it shows, I guess, national kind of emerging as um, a you know potential, like in a sort of position where they could form government potentially. Um, and, and I think like possibly, like you, you can see it in some of the other polls that we've seen where like there's, where they measure general satisfaction with the government um, and, you know, is the country in the right direction or, or uh, heading in the wrong direction? Those types of things have sort of gradually gone down a little bit. Um, so I think you could you could argue that uh, it is um, a poll that um, signals that there's a bit of desire for change, but I don't know if it's necessarily, um, yeah, terrible news for Labour. Um, yeah, you're right. Labour actually went up 1.1%. Um, I should have said uh, in the center left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but also, like, I think that's really interesting in terms of, like, if assuming this poll is accurate and is not some kind of like um, outlier, um, it's really interesting in terms of how the Greens and ACT have, you know, suffered and, and those main parties have consolidated because what, what I thought might happen um, once Luxon became leader of National is that if he did consolidate perhaps some of those um, kind of soft national voters that went to Labour in the last election and also some of the voters that went to ACT because national is just such a basket case, um, then, you know, actually Labour might, there might be some people on the on the left, centre-left, um, who had given their votes to the Greens in the last election that were like, oh, well, maybe, you know, we we don't want to see Labour fall behind national. Yeah. Like, let's, let's bolster them. Um, so I, I worry that that is kind of, happening and and there'll be a less of a presence from the greens and other minor parties. Well, this is something that we've raised a, a thousand times uh <laughs> since since the first since 2017 really um and that's the the nature of electoralism um even though we've got mmp um to favor the major parties um and if things are looking close for voters to consolidate there. And, and we've seen that all, all around the world. Um, we, we had a discussion, uh, I think, late last year with Luke Savage in Canada about how that's happened to the NDP um, in, in the face of, of Trudeau's leadership. Um, the NDP and um, the Liberals can kind of go up and down um, and then everyone will just kind of jump in and, oh, okay, it looks like Trudeau's going to win. Um, everyone vote for him. Um, and we, we see the same happen here. Um, we often on election um, days when we're watching reports uh, come in and you're seeing the Greens kind of uh, get closer to 5% than you'd like, um, it'll be in those situations where National uh, are pushing Labour really hard because people still consider that the, the party that has the highest vote share is the natural governor. Um, as opposed to a, a conglomeration of parties. So they want to get the main left party over the line. And, and sometimes I think regardless of, you know, how how big a Labour supporter they are, they might be like quite a died-in-the-wall green supporter, but they're like, oh, we got to get 
labor above national um that's the the key thing yeah it's a difficult mindset to um to get around and i mean i hope that like the 2017 result where it was kind of you know a lot of commentators were saying it was the first i guess um proper mmp government you know where you've got a couple of minor parties that are reasonably significant um contributors to the amount of seats that the government makes up um and whether that has kind of changed some people's mindset a little bit more and obviously 2020 election was okay threw that out the window yeah well i mean it's hard to say like how much of that is uh was overshadowed by covid it's such, such a massive issue and you know if we if we do kind of get back to some of the issues that previous elections were fought on you know will that will that change the dynamics a little bit yeah to say, but. well we, we from the the start of the pandemic i think we were saying here uh okay labor's had a really good response to the pandemic uh no argument there but that's only going to take you so far uh you know and eventually they're going to make enough mistakes and just the the nature of the pandemic is going to 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 overcome the party's ability to kind of handle things in a in a unchaotic and kind of orderly capable way which is i think what's ha- what's been happening over the past. especially with new variants right um yeah. you know covid is well and truly here in new zealand now we had 1900 cases um yesterday like in the next month or so it's going to get pretty pretty bad <laughs> yeah exactly it's a it's a lot more shambolic now uh than it was you know in the in the days of uh, 2020 and so at this point people start asking okay well the they're not doing so great in the pandemic anymore maybe i like them a little more than the other guys okay maybe but like they're not doing that great and then meanwhile what else have they done uh and what what's happened is of course we've had that massive transfer of wealth uh to 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 the the, the top slice of yes i've seen globally um but yeah in new zealand as well and yeah 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 and and poverty has increased of course um still people that they're relying massively on food banks i know the government's doing some things at least the minimum wage got, went up and there's the uh income protection scheme they're putting in uh but nonetheless um you know people are still struggling out there and so that's going to be a difficult one and for the greens you know i mean again something we talked about so many times they uh effectively they are part of labor now they they, they're not differentiating themselves i think in minds of a lot of voters uh, sort of ordinary middle of the road voters it's kind of like okay well the greens are just whatever labor do they've signed off on and meanwhile for a green voter uh you know a really committed one if you want the greens to kind of push at the margins and, and and do that stuff that kind of small uh more radical parties are supposed to do the reason they exist the greens aren't really doing that either um, and so then some of those lifetime supporters have to start being like, well, what, what is the point of me um, yeah. continuing to throw my vote here? You've got, I think you've got one or two Green MPs who are, who are, being, who are doing their best uh, to get issues out there and like make noise about stuff and try and push stuff through. And, and we've seen little bits here and there, but it's often like catching a Labour minister out as doing something pretty bad. Um, and then the Labour Minister will be like, oh, we'll take that into consideration. Um, or like, oh, we can't do that right now. Um, and I think j- just as an example of, of how bad uh, inequality has become um, during this pandemic, despite Labour's response, yada, yada, um, they're giving more funding to food banks and, and approving more um, emergency um payments to people who, who are in desperate need. So there's been an active move by Labour to do that. And at the same time, you have uh, Graham Hart coming back to New Zealand and just snapping up properties across the country to start a property empire. Um, that, like, that is, that's, it's obscene. Um, and well, people are starting to feel that. Right. And I mean, I, I think that brings us to, to, I guess, the issue of the day, uh, not just in New Zealand, but all over the world, which is uh, inflation which uh, I think as we've covered here and we will probably continue to cover in the, in the weeks and months ahead is uh, widely being painted as uh, a case of too much government spending, kind of overheating the economy, leading to too much, too much demand. And so that's why prices are going up. Paul, do you want to give us your uh, update on, I guess, the, the situation on inflation and, and what exactly is actually going on to, to lift uh, these prices. Why are governments doing this to us? <laughs> yeah, I think it ties in really nicely with what we were just talking about in terms of um, the kind of fortunes of the different political parties and, and all that. 
Um, but yeah, since we last spoke about uh, inflation, which was maybe about three or four weeks ago, um, StatsNZ released uh, the, their latest update and there was a lot of kind of um, commentary about how we were going to see it lift from the, the previous one, which I think was uh, the end of September quarter. So, so the most recent release was the December quarter uh, and there was 5.9% um, overall uh, increase in prices um, from the previous year, so from December 2020. Uh, and the main kind of drivers for that, uh, similar to, you know, the previous quarters that we're seeing, um, construction costs um, were, were a massive driver. Um, so they were up 16% um, year on year. Um, the food price index was also released for December. So that was up 4.5% uh, food prices, um, which is the largest increase in 10 years. Uh, rents up 3.8%. Um, and, you know, there's a couple of different measures for rents. So that the 3.8% was the was the rent price index, which was the one that StatsNZ used. But if you use bonds, I think it's sort of closer to six or seven percent. Um, and petrol um, was up 30% in the last year, so huge increase, and that's like a big spike on the last quarter um, into transport. Well, it's because so, of the higher minimum wage, obviously. That's that's why <laughs> massive spike, yeah, which hasn't even happened obviously. yet, as far as I can remember. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, it's just no, as no. we have to prepare. Like the government's going to do this. We have to, we have to get some of that money now because otherwise we can't afford to pay people. What if we just don't pay workers anything, and then there'll be no inflation <laughs> and and no demand? Yeah, I mean, uh, well, this is what they're doing, like across the rest of the world, as they are the legalizing child people. labor again. Um, <laughs> I think it was somewhere in the U.S. where yeah, Wisconsin. Created, yeah, so. Children, uh, fourteen-year-olds are allowed to work till eleven p.m. now, on child wages. Yeah, and, they, hey, yeah. let, let's not deal with the fucking underlying issues. Let's not pay people like uh, well, a this, wage that allows them to the, live. This is the interesting thing about the the narratives, right? That come out of the political parties in particular. But I, I don't want to labor on the political parties for too long. But I mean, as you guys have alluded to, national, you know, we'll just say, oh, the government's spending too much money. It's inflating the economy, overheating the economy, et cetera, et cetera. Labor to counter that, um, you know, talk about global supply chain issues. Yes, obviously COVID's disrupted global supply chains, um, oil prices, um, not a heck of a lot the government can do about that. Um, but then basically they just throw their hands up there and say, you know, there's nothing that we can do. Um, and even worse than that, they then, you know, invite the opposition um, to cut government spending by saying, you know, well, which spending would you cut? Like, name it. And they're, they're trying to do a gotcha and say that, oh, you know, National actually just want to cut health and education spending, which we all know that. Of course they do. But unfortunately, I think what Labour fall into the trap of doing is limiting the range of options that we have to fight inflation to cutting government spending or, you know, the Reserve Bank lifting interest rates and then, you know, driving up unemployment in the economy and, and sort of depressing um, economic activity so it's, it's a very kind of limiting uh, narrative um, and and this is like there, there's a really classic example of this this week in the house where um, Nicola Willis who's the housing spokesperson for National um, asked Megan Woods who's the housing minister um, basically put it to her well if government spending isn't increasing uh, rents then then what is um, and Megan Woods was just completely stunned like couldn't like couldn't give an answer, um, and and I think this is where the wait what? The, How do you not have an answer for that? Well, she ended yeah. up saying that it was because of inflation. So she, so she had a, a circular reference where it was like, why is inflation well, happening? Well, inflation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, which is which is ridiculous. I'd um, definitely recommend going and listening to that question wow. a few time. Um, so I think that they fall into this trap here, and, and it's also it was also evidenced by um, Porter Williams, who is is the associate housing minister. Um, earlier on, um, it was maybe about 10 or so days ago now, uh, said that, um, was asked about rent controls. Um, and because, you know, rent controls are coming up more and more in the media as, as rents go up, rightfully so. And um, she said that it wasn't off the table, or she said that we're considering all of the options. It was, it was a similar line to the, what the government said uh, previously, but I guess wasn't necessarily asked directly about rent controls. It was more, we're pulling every lever, you know, those those types of messages um, and then sure enough uh, straight away in the media all the headlines government's considering rent controls you know um, and then all of the taxpayers union and everyone else coming up rent controls will be disastrous for the economy blah 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 uh, and then several days later um, Jacinda Ardern 
comes out and says we're not considering ring controls we'll never implement ring controls not that leader though don't classic, worry everyone classic uh Ardan move uh to boldly come out and rule out something uh <laughs> i can't wait to find out what else won't be happening uh for, for the next few years yeah uh, you, you brought up a point that i think is really key uh just a little earlier um uh, you know it, it suits the interests of both major parties that basically the the discussion of inflation is limited to just too much government spending or nothing we can do about it because then neither of them have to debate about stopping house prices. The, the biggest inflation long before uh, the pandemic ever happened, long before this inflation uh, crisis now, or inflation uh, increase now, was housing. I mean, housing has been going up at a crazy rate for, for decades, especially the last you know, 10, uh, 12 years. And uh, of course, there's no appetite to do anything about that. We, we know that. We've seen the government repeatedly kind of shy away from saying that they want prices to fall. They just want them to to sort of stabilize. So of course it, it's, it serves their interest to never talk about this stuff, even though that is by far the worst inflation. If you think about what uh, amount of money in people's bank accounts are going to pay rent or mortgages, uh, it doesn't even compare to, to even groceries as bad as, as, as mm. food and, and everything is. It doesn't even compare. I mean, I think I saw the, the core logic uh, statistic uh, the other day was that now it's, it's uh, nearly 12 years to, to save up for a deposit for a house. Mm. I mean, for a deposit, a, over a decade to, to spend yeah. that long saving. I mean, think about how crazy that is. That is not a sustainable situation. And yeah, landlords are just screaming it as well. Like, they're like, oh, we have to put rents up. No, you fucking don't. Like, <laughs> but, but I, there's not really any extra cost to you well, here at this well, point. Uh, the the, the food is more expensive. How are they, how are they going to pay, uh, pay for, for more expensive uh, fruit and vegetables uh, if they don't, you know, basically just siphon more money out of their tenants? Mm. I think that ties in nicely, Carl, with, um, you know, we often sort of, uh, you know, tell the government off for, for these bad narratives and not actually, um, you know, ex explaining what's going on, but then fail to explain what's going on ourselves. So um, I think it's... Uh, a good example of what could be done about this is um, there's some, been some really good reporting over the last week or so um, about the building supplies issue. And um, Bernard Hickey reported that um, Fletcher Building, uh, they saw a 45% rise in profit from building products. So Fletcher Building, large um, construction company, um, controls many elements of the construction um, supply chain in the country. Um, and it turns out that they control 94% of the plasterboard market. So that's chipboard, obviously a key input into um, building costs. Um, so there's obviously something going on here, right? Like you've got, you've got a massive company which controls a huge part of, um, you know, a, a key part of this market. <clears throat> building costs have gone up 16% in a year. Their profits from that from building supplies have gone up forty five percent. You know the CEO is on five million dollars. They failed to pay back sixty eight million dollars in wage subsidies last year, and and got you know told off um, by the media for it. Still refused to to pay it back. Um, and then you know just recently, or it was probably about six months or so ago now, paid out a huge amount of dividends to their shareholders. So it's like, you know, here's an example of where a lot of uh, you know, the, the increase in prices is going, it's going into these companies' profit margins. Um, and they're not the only ones, you know, like there's, uh, you know, right across the economy, like um, I was doing some research on uh, on the food, uh, food prices and, you know, there was an article in the Herald the other day around um, beef mints and the price has doubled in, in 10 years for a kg of beef mints. Um, and again, like you've got a couple of meat processes that control a reasonable amount of the market um, and, you know, and have been creaming it in profits over the last couple of years. So, you know, I, I think this is the thing that never gets talked about in, in the house by politicians, hardly ever gets talked about. Well, it, I think it does get talked about a little bit more in the media to be fair, but only by selected outlets, you know? Mm. Um, and it, it's the, it's the key to what's happening. You know, you've got large companies 
profiting massively off this and that's where we need to focus on rather than cutting government spending or depressing wages. Uh, I can tell you, yeah, in the United States, uh, same thing is happening where, uh, you know, I haven't seen this in New Zealand, but in in earnings calls that are, uh, you know, basically uh, made public, you read them and these these CEOs of companies are basically outright saying, yeah, we're, we're raising prices because of inflation. We're, you know, we're using this as a, as an excuse to, they say it in so many words, but that that's the takeaway. They're using it as an excuse. to raising prices because of inflation. No, 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 no. That that's what inflation is. It's you raising the yeah. prices. Well, yeah, they're using the same yeah. circular reasoning. Exactly, exactly. And also, I mean, you know, you look at the amount of money that the people at the top get paid, and you know, I mean, if you want to talk about uh, uh, wage growth, that's unsustainable. I mean, that's much more than the you know dollar uh, or so that goes up for minimum wage. Um, but again. A lot yeah. of people benefit from this stuff never being talked about by uh, the majority of the politicians. It's this really interesting thing where, you know, us at, at, at the bottom of the heap are expected to tighten their belts. Like, okay, it's, you know, we're going to go through a hard time. You know, we're having the, the next Great Depression. Um, things are going to be pretty, pretty shaky for the next few years. Uh, don't eat. And all, all, all the meanwhile, you know, people in these executive positions um, and the business and the companies themselves, are, their profits just go through the roof. Like, look at foodstuffs during the course of the pandemic. It's been insane. While a lot of small hospitality businesses and owner operators have, have crashed, a lot of workers have, have either lost their jobs or have reduced hours and have had to rely on um, government support. Um, we're, like, we're talking ridiculous profit margins, but those are never expected to be reined in. There is never mm-hmm. any expectation that we either uh, tax um, that at a higher rate if they are taking advantage of, of the markets in that way, um, nor that they even morally should be doing that. Interest uh, asked Simon Bridges the other day what, what he would do to curb inflation, and his uh, two big ideas were uh, kill Auckland Light Rail <laughs> and then uh, cut taxes. So literally the what a fucking idiot the, the same thing that they have been saying for like a decade just like don't spend money on public transport and just t- cut taxes doesn't make any sense wouldn't wouldn't in any way do anything about inflation um but that shows if he wants to take a kind of demand side view of it like oh yeah let's cut taxes and like put more money into the economy it's like that's what you're accusing the government of doing and yeah. you want to do it yourself and then also, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously, light rail is going to take years to, to come to fruition. But then also, I mean, as uh, petrol prices are, are always going to be volatile, uh, depending on what happens in the in, in the global economy. So, I mean, if you if you next public transport, then that means more people having to drive cars and more people spending money on, on, on bloody petrol. So, yeah, it doesn't make any bloody sense. But yeah, that that's the shallowness of the level of thought from uh, that side of the spectrum um, at the moment. So, what is the answer, Paul? What are, what are we going to do about it? Well, uh, I think you raised a, a good um, a good option there, which is raise taxes. You know, like we were talking about this these massive like CEO pay packets and profits and that. Um, the Fletcher CEO uh, earns 130 times the lowest paid employee there, 130 times, um, and this is like common across these big corporates, like with with their executive pay compared to their lowest worker pay. So I mean, you could, um, yeah, you could have wealth and uh, wealth taxes and increased taxes on high incomes um you could uh with flitches you know you've got a big uh, natural monopoly um you could bring that into public ownership um and you know make sure that they're like it's, it's a not-for-profit so you're um, eliminating that um part of of the, of the pressure on prices um you could do a range of things um but of course all of these things like you've said uh, things that the government will, will never consider national party certainly will never consider um so yeah i mean i guess we just got to keep um fighting for them and there's plenty of other groups out there um and people and organizations that are fighting for similar policy solutions so um yeah as long as we keep banging on about it hopefully they'll start to listen let me just add on to that just very quickly i think because people sometimes think uh, that you know this this pay executive to worker pay disparity is is you know well okay the executives they, they deserve to get paid a lot more but this is actually historically aberrational uh the the amount that it's at right now i i can't give you the figure of what it used to be but it was nowhere near you know the 140 uh to one ratio that that is something that's like un 
heard of if you look at the scope of, of recent history, if you look at the 20th century. Um, so I think it's important to note that's not normal. Yeah. Inflation is being driven by people at the top taking more. Um, and that's literally all there is to it. We're taking more when they don't need to. There, there's no reason that CEOs and executives need this amount of money. There's no reason that uh, businesses need to be uh, pulling a, a, a much larger profit than usual. There's no reason why landlords need to consistently put up rents. It's not like they fucking do anything with that money um, in regards to their property in the first place. We know what the Auckland housing stock is like. Um, you know, it, so much stuff is under-maintained. Um, we, they don't need to be putting up money on like uh, the price on on butter, you know. It's like or, or on other staples. It's yeah, it's it's horrific. Yeah, and I mean, rent controls is another uh, one which is probably a little bit more sort sort of further along. Obviously, you got you know you got more politicians talking about that than some of those other ideas. Um, and so that's probably one that hopefully we'll see a little bit of action on. Um, we'll just see it called something different. <laughs> yeah well that's the funny thing is like if the government is ruling out rent controls that's like you know it's, it's quite a broad category like you could argue that they have already implemented a form of rent control which is limiting the amount of times that a landlord can increase rent in a year so that it was originally uh once you know every six months and they've um, changed it to every 12 months so that's a that's a kind of form of controlling you know uh rent increases but i think what they're you know, there's the sort of um, the, the the rent controls that the landlord lobby fear is at, you know, actually limiting the amount that they can charge um, for rent or the amount that they can increase rent by. Um, and that's hopefully is the thing that we'll see more momentum behind. This government's ruled it out, but, you know, there's an election next year. Um, hopefully um, people can get it on the agenda. We start calling it a rent cap change. instead. Yeah. Um, uh I, just to, to quickly, I, I tracked down a, a chart, so I can't give you the pay ratio, but so in, two, uh, in 2020, okay, the, the average CEO was making a little over a million dollars. The average worker was making uh, $56,000 a year. In 2000, so just 20 years ago, not even, not even that long ago, it was uh, the average CEO, $630,000 to 42760 for the average worker. So you can see that just in the last 20 years. It's almost doubled. And that was well after the neoliberal turn. So if you go before 1980, uh, I'm certain you're going to see even, even, it would shock people, I think, to know how actually, how much closer the executive to, to average worker pay used to be uh, in this mm. country. It says around maybe what, 12 to one, up to about 20 to one or something like that in, in 10 years. Yeah, yeah. obscene. Um, and it, it's, just, it's just greed. It's just, it's pure greed. Um, and I think we're going to we're going to start seeing some of the electoral effects on that coming into the end of this year, coming into 2023, um, because Labour isn't communicating what the problem is here. They're, they're too afraid of the business lobby um, and the media interests involved in it. Um, they're too unwilling uh, to actually take any direct action um, to assuage some of the deprivation that that people are uh, not even at the bottom of the heap that even like middle class people are feeling who are who are renters uh that we're going to get a whole bunch of people who don't vote or you're, you're even get people who vote for national because it's time for a change you know it's like yeah. i just and in the same way that people voted for trump because they were fucking desperate like that's yeah. that's how bad it can get um and national aren't gonna do anything good we're going to be like a lot worse than labor in, in this respect mm, yeah well i well put i think uh and i think that's a probably a great place to to leave it um hopefully you the listener have found this a discussion engaging interesting because made you made you think if it did send it around to people tell people about it tell people to come to one of 200 and listen to our shows read the articles we post maybe even uh throw us a couple bucks i know i say that all the time we don't do it to pocket the money we we do it to pay the the, the people who edit these shows and and do other things involved Rick, Rick gets paid 100 doing. times uh, <laughs> 100 times our bottom paid worker <laughs> if, if only if only no we uh i can i can show everyone we are making no money out of this 
Pats. Uh, we are doing this for the love of the game. So if, uh, whatever you can do to spread the word or help out, much appreciated. Uh, we will see you guys uh, next week, and we may have some bonus episodes uh, in that time as well. We'll see. Uh, but until then, uh, see you later. Stay safe up there. Relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is the lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full You hate nationalism You don't hate your nation